Hello and welcome to the show. This week I was a guest on the 2A EDU stream, as in Second Amendment education, and we talked, obviously, guns, but specifically how I came to change my mind about them politically and the importance of understanding them and being proficient with them in today's uncertain world. If you listen to our show live, you might catch 2A EDU hanging out in the chat from time to time, so if you like what you hear... And I hope that you will. Check out the 2A EDU channel linked in the description, not only for great Second Amendment content, but great content from somebody who has been a part of our community for a long time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey guys, how's it going? And happy Thursday. I hope you guys are doing good. There's like tons of crazy stuff going on right now in the gum world today, but we're going to hang out tonight and have a good time. Now my guest, Matt Christensen. Hopefully you guys are already aware of his channel, but if you're not, definitely go down in the description, click on that link. Awesome dude. I really enjoy his content throughout the week. There's a killer live stream every Sunday night, the Matt and Blonde show. Totally, totally awesome content. So we're just going to talk about, you know, guns and ammo, where we're at right now, the whole thing going on with the culture. We're also going to talk a little bit about the AFT, and this is a little bit of an inside joke from his last stream, but he might even give me a little advice on how to pick out chicks if I need to. So make sure you check out the Matt Christensen channel. And if any of his listeners are listening later on in his podcast, welcome. And I hope you guys enjoy the show too. So here's Matt Christensen. Check out his channel, guys. How's it going, Matt? (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, but no thanks for reviving probably the most awkward moment from Sunday's stream, which I don't even remember how we got into how the the joke about picking up women was even made. I think I was teasing that we were going to talk about guns on this stream, but that was only an assumption. You know, I hadn't been told what we were going to talk about. So somehow it became pickup artistry. And I've learned in the meantime, you're a married man with a with a young child. So I suppose that ship has sailed. Well, here's the thing though. No, this is awesome. And this is a segue. And the only reason I brought it up is to give my wife a shout out. Huge (laughs) fan of your show. She loves you, man. And she said, you know what? Yeah, dude. And she's like, you know what? She's like, I'm actually totally thrilled with this because if it's Matt Christensen giving you advice to pick up chicks, we're like, okay, she's not worried about it. So Uh, you should be. My track record in that area is very poor, but Thankfully, I don't ever have to practice uh, to for, for those sorts of achievements ever again in my life if, if things go as planned. So <laughs> no worries about that. That's awesome, dude. So here's the thing. I hate to put labels on people, so I'll let you speak for yourself. But here's how I found out about you. I was listening to John Patton and his Gun Collective podcast. Jeez, that's been like a few years ago now. And that's how I found your channel, which is awesome. And... I don't know if you call yourself a conservative today or just like a regular person today, but you kind of went through a little bit there and I wanted to talk about it today. From what I understand, you weren't always like the same mindset you are now. Is that the case? Yeah. I used to be a good boy Democrat. I used to, I, I voted Obama twice. I mean, I, I, I thought the Democrats were the good guys and starting about late 2015 into 2016, there was a lot of uh, the, the, most fundamental principle for me that I've never betrayed, or at least I hope I haven't, is is the free speech issue. So when Donald Trump was emerging as the uh, Republican candidate in in uh, spring 2016, I remember there was an event he had in Chicago 
a speaking event and they shut it down by force. They, the, the mob raided that podium in Chicago and he couldn't speak. And I didn't like Trump at the time. And, you know, I'm not a, a Trump super fan currently either, but, um, but, you know, I, I've kind of come around on him a little bit since then, certainly. But uh, a lot of my quote unquote team back then was celebrating the forcible shutdown of a political speech. And, and I'm thinking, uh, I thought we were the free speech team. I, I don't like Trump, but why are we clapping at the forcible shutdown of a speech? This isn't right. And ever since then, it's been kind of a cascade of questioning what else they're wrong about. And I don't know how much of it is me changing my mind as much as it is becoming clearer on what my first principles actually are and the proper application of them. And as far as guns and gun rights go, it was kind of an extension of that, realizing they're wrong or at least inconsistent on the free speech issue. And as I was doing my channel more and more and transitioning away from video games and more into politics and news and, and the stuff I talk about now, when I was more in video games, I would get th threats all the time. And you know how video game culture is. Who knows if they're real? It's just somebody t telling you they're going to kill you and bang your mom and all that. Yeah. But somebody sent me a video of him with a knife cutting things, saying he was going to cut me. And wow. And I, I remember making a video about this at the time, and it was kind of a, a joke because who knows if this guy's serious or not. But I, I, but the serious component of that video, and it's somewhere on my channel, you could still go find it, uh, is that this was a guy who was doing what? He was abusing, let's say he was serious, that he was seriously threatening me. Take uh, Maybe it was a joke, maybe it wasn't. But he was abusing his speech in the form of a threat. Now, there's no part of me that would look at that and say, well... We got to crack down on the speech rights of everybody else on account of this guy making a threat toward me. And yet we look at potential misuse of guns, or at least maybe I would have formerly, and I see somebody commit a crime with a gun. Why then would I conclude we got to go crack down on the gun rights of everybody else on account of this one guy who abused or misused the right? Yeah. And I couldn't really explain that. I couldn't explain why do I want to crack down on innocent people's gun rights if I don't want to crack down on their speech rights. And that's sort of how the evolution started for me. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And I wish people would look at it more that way, because here's what I've often said on my channel. Look, I'm not going to become the tyrant that's in the opposite and say, you must own a gun no matter what. And you must own a hundred of them. No, if you don't want to own a gun, just don't own it. But who are all these people to be the judge and say, well, this person did something bad. So let's punish all these innocent people who just want to protect their life, their liberty and their country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, and that's kind of the path that I went down, um, although maybe these days uh, forcible gun ownership might be an appealing option. Maybe we're there. <laughs> maybe we do need to go uh, there, actually, because it's I'm our kinda... duty. Well, it's, it's like uh, ourselves. the 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 enemies of liberty are are so um, just fierce. They're off their rocker right now that the temptation to correct the pendulum um, aggressively in the other direction is is strong as well. But um, but the other thing about this, the, the journey for me on guns, what it started with kind of that first principle question. And then um, that got the curiosity going in me. And I, I was never anti-gun per se i just bought into the rhetoric of like well we got to have common sense restrictions so that bad guys don't get them but i realized i didn't really have a concept of 
what the legal landscape actually was. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, there were like, my brother was really into guns. There are some guns in my family. I had shot guns before. It's not, it's not that I had no exposure, but I had never bought a gun at the time. We're talking like 2016. I had never gone into a store and purchased one myself, even though I'd handled them. And um, Stephen Crowder says, and I think he's 100% right about this, a lot of political issues, uh, there's a lot of complication and different interpretation. And people with a broad level understanding of an issue might disagree, uh, but still understand the issue very thoroughly. Guns is maybe the one issue where it basically breaks down between people who know what they're talking about and people who don't. And I was one of the people who didn't. I had no idea what the legal landscape was. I had no idea on the basic function of guns, to be honest. And yet I had strong, what I thought were strong political opinions about them. But then you go and you you look at what the legal landscape is. You go buy a gun, you get that experience under your belt, and you realize all of these talking points about loopholes and about uh, gaps in the law, they don't exist. If anything, most of the law, certainly in the federal sense, is way over the top. It's excessive. It's not inadequate. There's too much of it. We have over 20,000 federal gun control laws, for example. Sure. Yeah. So here's the thing. And this is where I wanted your insight, because I know there's people in the chat right now that might relate to you a little more than me, to be honest, because I grew up with a gun in my hand, like Hmm. shooting off the front porch and all of that. And I've been a conservative, if you wanted to like, just label me briefly my whole life. And I just used to always think to myself, it's like, well, what the heck's wrong with these people? Because they would say something like, it's always like the gun went out and like killed somebody, right? The gun did this. The evil black rifle did that. And I'm like, look, guys, guns are neither inherently good nor evil. They're an inanimate object. And yes, bad people use guns. They kill people with cars, all these other things. But good people save like way more lives every year than bad people take lives, you know? And they don't tell you that. And that's another thing that I've learned in this in this journey is that there are um, there's a the gun violence database, for example, is a great resource that a lot of gun grabbers will cite for all sorts of um, of gun crime. But there's a whole other side of the gun violence database you can go to that is at least an attempt at a comprehensive list of defensive use, uh, defensive gun use in the news local news all over the country yes. and there are more in there. So they, they chronicle mass shootings, which I think is whatever the definition is it's like yes. four or more victims or something. They also chronicle defensive gun uses. There are more in there. And those are only the newsworthy ones. Those are only the ones where say law enforcement is involved in some way. It might there. How many cases are there where someone is on a porch and maybe a gun is brandished defensively and the guy runs away and it's never actually even in the news at all. And so then, and the CDC has studied this too, by the way, and uh, I think it was around 2013. And they concluded that defensive gun use is at least as common as offensive gun crime, although it's impossible really to get a comprehensive gathering of that data. But you just never hear about that. To your point, it's as though guns are only used by criminals for nefarious purposes and never in legitimate defense of a good guy. And, but but the stats show otherwise. Yes, and we and we never say in society, even us people that are pro-gun never would say this, and we wouldn't want to because we just like to tell the truth. But somebody gets plastered at the bar, jumps in their Ford, 
and, and kills a family driving down the road. We never say yeah. the car killed somebody, so we need to ban Fords. We never say let's ban Budweiser and get it off the planet. Like we never say that. But it seems like that's like the whole rhetoric and talking points of the other side on this, right? Yeah. It, well, it, the only exception is the Waukesha guy. That was the SUV that killed a bunch of people. <laughs> that's true and, because he fed a different narrative they wanted to. So they, they do sometimes do that in the context outside of guns. But to your point, yeah. I mean, I, I was talking about this earlier this week because that's exactly what Kathy Hochul said in New York City about this uh, this felon who was armed with a high a Glock with a high-capacity drum mag, you know? So the the right. gun was illegal. Well, he was also a felon, so it doesn't matter what gun he had, high-capacity high or not. He mows down two NYPD officers who show up at the apartment on account of his mom calling the police for a visit, and Kathy Hochul gets up at the podium and mentions nothing about the criminal, the fact that he was a felon with a violent history, that he can't have a gun, period. She talks about the illegal gun, and wonders how these illegal guns are somehow migrating into New York and, of course, blames all the other states. It's, it's all the other states' faults, we, and we have, we have to get Washington to take care of this, even though the guy already broke federal law. It's always yeah. about the gun. So why didn't they mention the cashless bail and why they let him out of jail and why is he even amongst us? Why, you know, that's never the talking point, is it? He was on probation at the time, and I, I don't know. A lot of his crimes, in fairness to him, dated back to the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of debate to be. I don't know what the status of, of his charge against him was. And there's a whole separate debate on whether felons should be prohibited persons after they've served their sentence, for example. Yeah. But in this case, the federal law is what the federal law is and he was not in compliance with it and yet what's the answer it's not just that we need more law in new york it's that we need our bs federalized on everybody else across the country yeah and what you're saying kind of transitions into the next thing i'm thinking and by the way thanks for the super chats guys you guys are totally awesome thank you so much so basically what it comes down to is this this is my opinion criminals they don't follow laws by sure definition because they're a criminal but good people and law-abiding people don't really need laws because we're just going to do the right thing, right? Now, if you look at 2020, they said over 10 million new gun owners in the U.S. Now mm. the stats have come out for 2021, five-point-something million new gun owners. And here's my take, and I want you to chime in on this. I think it's because people have finally realized they call them mostly peaceful protests, right? Let's go, Brandon, by the way, guys. <laughs> and they'd sit there and they'd say mostly peaceful protests. You remember that the CNN anchors like, of course. Oh, besides that Molotov cocktail, boom. Besides that CVS and flames, mostly peaceful. And here's what happened: literally, when seconds mattered, and police weren't minutes away like they usually are. They were told stand down, don't respond, and people are like, oh wow, I have to protect myself. So there's like a ton of new gun owners, right? And some of them are former Democrats. They might still be Democrats. So what do you think is going on with all of that? Oh, I think 2020 was a, a big awakening for a lot of those people. The realization that you, you're the assumption that law enforcement or emergency responders are going to be there to protect you was broken. And the truth is they don't even have to be given a stand down order necessarily. They could be great people who are perfectly capable and proficient Fact of the matter is, 
even if the police department is across the street from you, if a criminal comes to you in your immediate vicinity, they can't get to you faster than that guy's already in your face. Here's a, a great example. Do you remember um, there was a, a, a mass shooting in, Vir- was it Virginia Beach? This was within the last two years or so. It was one case where the guy actually used a suppressor, which is very uncommon. Yeah, that he was did. a city worker, I think. Yeah, and it was a city office or some sort of office building, and he he rampaged that place and killed X amount of people. And the police department was literally a block or two away. And this guy still killed them all. And I had um, a friend that I've gone back and forth with on gun stuff quite a bit, kind of, I mean, in good faith, because that's how people convinced me, not by shaming me and mocking me, but by kind of pushing me to get those gears spinning in my head and question what I thought to be true. But, but, he texted me at the time and said something like, um, Oh, look at this. Like, I bet we need more relaxed gun laws though, or something, something about how obviously another law would have taken care of this. And I was baffled because I'm thinking it, it was across the street from the police department. What possible law would ever have prevented this? Well, if the police this? are right there to enforce yeah. it and they still can't. Well, why don't they just outlaw murder then is something I tell those people. Right. We've tried that. It, I mean, the, yeah. The, and the point is, like, of course, we punish criminals for their crimes. Um, but that doesn't do you much good if he already killed you. If he goes to death row for killing you, we may call that justice, but you're still dead. And if you want justice in defense of yourself in that moment, the fact of the matter is, I mean, it's maybe it's just growing up for me, too. You are your own first and last line of defense. If somebody comes for you, it's you first. Maybe someone comes to help you. Or if everyone else is taken out, it's also you last. So if, if you are not prepared for that, like you said, you're, you're perfectly within your rights not to prepare for that. I'm not trying to force gun ownership or gun proficiency on anybody. But there's nobody else who can who can take care of it first or last for you. And for me, I uh you know, I, I, I've I do my best. I do my best uh, at training. I do my best at becoming proficient and becoming the best um, shot that I can be, and all of that. And I've I've sort of accepted, like you know, I'm not Annie Oakley. I'm not going to be. I'm not some. I'm not. I don't have Dead Eye and Red Dead Redemption or anything. I'm not the greatest shot in the world. I do what I can. And so when people say things like, "Oh, what do you think? You're you're going to like one man army out of this?" And it's like, it's not really what it's about. The fact that I'm armed doesn't mean that someone can't kill me if they decide they want to. They might. But but the other uh, moment that was really formative for me, I don't know if you ever watched the um, the Christchurch shooting footage at that mosque. I did. And then that's like video game stuff where the guy has a GoPro taking, uh, I think he had a shotgun and an AR. I can't remember what he was armed with, but he is, is HD live streamed, the most graphic mass shooting first person footage you could probably ever see. And you watch these people down on their knees, begging for their lives. You watch people trying to intervene with him and still getting shot. And in that, in a situation like that, like if I'm in a gathering and some guy breaks in with a shotgun and an AR, could he get me? Yeah, he could. Will I ever get down on my knees and beg for my life before a person like that? Not a chance. I will die before that happens. And I would hope that everyone else would agree to that. It it doesn't make you invincible. It just means that you're not going to get down on your knees and beg for your life before a crazy person. 
And yeah, isn't that actually what liberty's all about and what this country was founded on? Like, look, nobody said freedom was ever going to be free, right? And nobody yeah. said that liberty wouldn't come without risks. And I know it's kind of cachet, but I stand by this. I'd rather like literally like live my life and die on my feet than run around like a, a slave or a scared little person on my knees all the time because I mm -hmm. feel like I'm a little safer, right? And and here's the thing, like look, this is what this is what I think about a lot, and I talk about this a lot on my live streams. The United States of America, the greatest experiment on self-governance of all time. This would be a country of the people, by the people, for the people, and that the government would literally only exist. Its only purpose was to protect our rights. And they literally said, these are laws of nature and of nature's God, meaning that the Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to keep and bear arms. It actually protects an inherent right that was endowed by our creator, right? And, you know, you look at what's going on right now with some of the recent news. I'm watching all the chat fly by here. That's not exactly what's going on right now. Do you think the, the AFT, according to the former vice president, Brandon, do you think they're protecting our God-given or natural rights at the moment? But wait, are you, you refer to him as our former vice president. Are you, you're not, you're not questioning his status as the most popularly elected president of all time. You wouldn't do that on Susan's platform, I don't think. No, no, I wouldn't. And this is what I always say to this, okay? <laughs> People ask me this all the time. This is true. They say, 2AEDU, why do you call him the former vice president? Yeah. And I say, well, because he is the former vice president. Then I go on to say, according to Susan WikiWiki and Time Magazine, which is a NewsGuard certified source, the most popular and the most fortified of all yeah. time. Yeah, never forget. They came right out and described it right in those pages. Anyway, you're you're quite like <laughs> that that's great. I uh yeah. And this man right here is the one that actually started this, guys. Full credit where it's due. I've heard him calling her wiki wiki, him and blonde. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna run with this because politics is downstream from culture and we should, you know take jabs at these people as far as i know that is the correct pronunciation of her name so we've just gone with susan wiki wiki as long as she's been uh at the helm which has been god how many years at youtube but anyway uh your question is about and i assume the aft is a is a reference to the former vice president too huh yes um are they protecting our natural rights right now what do you think no about I, you talk about unconstitutional uh gun laws now under the original Constitution, there's some debate about what latitude the states had in these matters. And maybe you want to make the argument, well, if states want to handle guns in different ways, there's constitutional that the federal government was designed to or the, the federal Constitution was designed to um, restrict or define what the federal government can do. Uh, and the states had more had more um, latitude in that area. But in this context, you're talking about. The ATF as a federal institution that is in direct defiance of the Second Amendment. I, I don't. The Second Amendment is is, is very clear. It, it shall not be infringed. And yet, there's an entire. Sorry, I should have shut my phone off. Um, there's an entire alphabet agency, I suppose, one of many at this point, that is in direct conflict with some of the most clear, explicit language in the Bill of Rights. And as a practical matter, do they do they do it? Do, do you think any? You think those guys are out there to defend the rights of law-abiding citizens to arm and defend themselves, or are they out there to trick you into? I don't. Are, are they out just like the FBI or any of the others? Are they out to bait good people into 
I don't know, building rifles with 15 inch barrels and then shooting their dogs on account of that. It, it's there's there's nothing about this that is constitutional, moral um, or really of any value to this country. I, I just <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I'm not a fan. Obviously, I don't see the necessity. Yeah, I'm definitely not a fan either, but literally, and, and look, with all due respect, look, this is how this goes for me. I talk about this all the time. We got this coin. We've got the Republican. If you elect me, your eight-year attack on the Second Amendment's over. All right. Well, Trump banned bump stocks. We'll get into that in one second. Then on the other side, the Democrat. I'm going to ban everything, and guns cause all crimes. Look, Republicans might ban less guns, so they're all guilty of it. I just want them in full disclosure, right? But man, especially ramping up now, Trump started it with bump stocks. He really did. But now they're literally like going insane. Yeah, you were mentioned mentioning before we're live uh, and you're probably a little more up on some of the stuff that's going on. But I, I saw a news piece earlier in the week about the targeting of 80 percent kits. They want to treat those as guns. Make sure you you know you have to get the full um, you got to go through the background check. You got to do all the processes, though you were buying a gun, all of that. And then you mentioned the trigger kits, too. And um, and this is uh, the bump stock thing. We talked, to, uh, um, we talked about that a lot on our stream. And I, I wanted to emphasize to people, even outside of the gun world, how bad of a move and a precedent that is. Because there are a lot of people who don't care about guns and think, okay, it's, it's some stupid uh, piece of plastic you put on the gun and makes it shoot fast. What do I care if they ban them? I don't even have an AR, let alone do, do I want one that shoots faster or can shoot faster than others? Yeah. So a lot of people just kind of brush that off as like, oh, that's sort of like a niche gun guy thing who really cares. Well, it was the federal government outside of Congress, extra legislatively redefining what your property is and then forcing you to to uh, surrender it to them or destroy it. And even if you're not a gun guy, and, and I think that's offensive enough in the gun context, it's such a property rights issue. Let's say that the EPA decided that your your car um, is it pollutes too much that it that it's not environmentally friendly. They go they go outside of Congress and they just decide that it is in violation somehow of some existing federal law and they compel you to get rid of your car or just think of any other property that they could do this to. It's it, uh, that's why the bump stock thing was so important. Now we're seeing it. Uh, accelerate in the gun context too, where they just say, well, we know machine gun under federal law has a specific definition, but if there are things that shoot too fast than we like, or if there are things in the case of the 80% kits that are too close to guns, we'll just say they're guns. But again, it, 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 there's no limitation. It's just up to the interpretation of the Justice Department and whatever alphabet agency to redefine your property into some legal violation at their own whim. Yeah, and I would know literally what you just described. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but the way you actually described what the word tyrant means, somebody who's yeah. ruling outside of the rule of law. And yeah. the Constitution is very specific. Congress makes law. We have three branches of government, right? Just humor me on this. Now, this is actually kind of like fiction nowadays. but And that the executive branch, which is where the AFT, Department of Justice, work under, they're supposed to dutifully execute laws that are coherent with the lawmakers, Congress. And I don't see any of that going on with a lot of these new AFT things. Do you? 
Well, it's a it's a really broad problem for the federal government in general. We have uh, a lot of con- members of Congress who are averse to accountability. They don't want accountability. They want to uh, package up giant omnibus budget bills and spend all the money we don't have. And other than that, really delegate policy decisions to all the bureaucracy. Guns is one example of that. But increasingly, whether you think about think about it in war making context or in the context of guns or in the context of anything else, Congress just says um, we delegate the power to do all this stuff to whatever alphabet agency, and then the alphabet agency does it. Now, uh, that is one one thing that might that's one area that could probably use a little more constitutional clarity. I think I, I don't know that we foresaw the degree to which power would be surrendered by the branches, but specifically Congress. And that's a, that's a major problem when there, there are, there's some doctrine that the Supreme court has, um, uh, has, has established on this, that, that laws, you you can't just, you can't wave a magic wand and give all the power to a specific agency without any definition. Yeah. You can't leave major questions, as they call it, up to the alphabet agencies to decide for themselves if they're major questions of policy. But even still, we have largely delegated a lot of lawmaking authority to unaccountable bureaucrats. And that, that's really true across all sorts of policy contexts, not just guns. It's a, it's a huge problem. And I don't know. I don't know how we clean that up. We got somehow we have to put another provision in there that says, no, seriously, only Congress writes the laws. That's it. Well, it's funny because, and I'll mention another Supreme Court case in one minute, but no, you just reminded me. I was thinking of this, man. It's like I'm psychic. I knew what you were going to say, but Trey Gowdy actually had this like really like huge speech on the floor of Congress a few years ago. And he was like, yeah, like Congress makes the law law. And he's actually proposed a law that said the law of the land is Congress makes law. And that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Now the courts too, the Supreme court, you know, we might be halfway happy or real happy with recent decision, but at the same time, there was a case that happened in the eighties and it was called United States department of natural resources against Chevron. And basically they were up against the Department of Natural Resources interpretation of a law that was in direct conflict with the law. And unfortunately, that's the case the AFT is using right now, where SCOTUS found that, look, if there's something in a law that's being interpreted by an executive branch, the interpretation actually has more force and effect of law than the law itself, but they narrowly confined it to only civil matters, like regulatory matters. The AFT is literally citing Chevron as how they can reclassify what a firearm is or what a machine gun is. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, there's where there's a will, there's a way. They got the lawyers to to make it happen, you know. And um, and yeah, and 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 that's true as you mentioned earlier across uh, administrations too. It was uh, Trump and Jeff Sessions who did exactly this in the context of bump stocks. And so you, you this is sort of the problem too. Is is we're constantly fighting over this sword of the federal government. We think, oh, if we just get our guys in there to manage this sword properly. But all of these arenas, whether it's guns or any other issue, generally, these are all questions to be left to the states. And it would be nice if this sort of nonsense was reserved to California or New York where they like it. But the rest of us could regulate or not regulate these issues as we see fit 
And uh, we just don't have that anymore. I mean, all, all of these things being subject to Congress, being subject to the Supreme Court, being subject to the whole power concentration in D.C. means that we um, have less ability to address these issues within our own states. And we're all at the mercy of their nonsense and their mistakes and um, their corruption. If you want to be cynical about it, 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 you could view it as just they're incompetent or you could view it as they're the kind of evil and uh it's hard to argue they're anything but kind of evil to be kind about it they, they might be racist yeah i mean they might be uh they they're actual movie villains at this point yeah and that's the thing we are not the federal government of washington's dc no we're these united states of america and that's kind of what the 10th amendment reaffirms too right well it seems like uh, one of the loneliest amendments at this point uh, I don't know of a loan. Maybe like a, the troop quartering one, the Third Amendment. That, Third that's kind of lonely. I don't know if we deal with that much anymore these days. But, mm. but yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's a major problem. And when I when I think about the 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 logic or the thinking of um, of a lot of progressive politicians and thought leaders, the question I'm always left with is, what do you guys think states are for? When they talk about the Senate being undemocratic, for example, well, the Senate, look, uh, these these 10 states have the same population of California, but they have you know 20 senators among them in California only has two. Or when they talk about dismantling the Electoral College, because that's not a perfectly democratic institution, we had a distribution or division of power between the states as political bodies and the federal government and the federal government was supposed to have a very minimized, yes. clearly enumerated, clearly articulated set of powers, and the states handle everything else. Instead, we've totally inverted it, and the second that we have a problem with a stray cat in our neighborhood, we want D.C. to fix it for us. Instead of solving it among ourselves and specifically within our states. And that's the frustrating thing, man. Like I'll sit here and talk about how insane New York is or insane, uh, how insane California is. I can agree on the principle that they should be allowed to be completely insane in their own states. I just want to be left alone in my state of Montana and not have them federalize all their crap and make us follow them. But they can't generally agree to that arrangement. Everything yeah. they want has to be imposed on us. Yeah, and they say democracy. Well, the problem with that is we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional yeah. republic, and that keeps us from having the mild rule and the um, tyranny of the masses. Now, when we're talking about the Tenth Amendment, it says that except for the very specific powers that are delegated to the federal government, and as you said, mm -hmm. those are very few, the rest lie in the states and respectively to the people. Mm -hmm. So the people actually are granted the highest authority in government. So with that said, what the heck are just regular nobodies like me and you and all the rest of the people watching going to do about this? Have you thought about that? That, that yeah. And frankly, that's a, it's a dangerous and unpleasant question. And I mean that dangerous in the internet context. And so I'll choose my words very carefully because I don't want you to get in trouble on account of me. Exactly. But, Hi, Susan. But, but it's a dangerous question in terms of the real life danger that it, um, that it implies and that it necessarily creates eventually. And this is what freaks me out about all of this, because you talk about these things. This is no more controversial than a reading of the Declaration of Independence. As you talked about, governments are instituted among men to uh, secure the rights of the people among those inalienable rights. We all know or what we all know what those rights life, liberty, property. We know the language of the Declaration generally. Yeah. And when 
uh, governments fail to serve that purpose, it is the 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 right of the people to uh, dissolve those governments. The right to, and duty, it says, to abolish yeah, it. Yeah. Right. So, so it, that's not a, a call to violence. That's not terrorism. That's the philosophy on which our country was founded. And I talk about these issues because I, I want a return to that as peacefully as possible. I talk about these issues because I, I want words to solve the problem. I, I genuinely do. I don't, I have a lot of, I have a lot of dislike for the, the politics of the progressive left right now. That doesn't mean that I want any sort of physical or violent conflict, but what freaks me out is if we don't heed these warnings and if we don't recognize that decentralizing power and keeping decision-making as local as possible prevents conflict what happens? You get all this centralization of power. And this isn't just talking about this country. Look at every historical example. Power consolidates, it concentrates, it becomes unstable, and it blows up. Yep. And I don't want anything to do with that. I really do not. But I can't see any other... I wish I could predict, I wish I could say, well, if, if it got too concentrated, um, here's an easy way out where all of our rights would be restored and freedom would, would be, uh, freedom would resume and we'd all be happy. It, it doesn't work that way. It's referred to as the tree of liberty for a reason, and, and, it's, and it's messy. And again, just to be as clear as possible, I, I don't say that with any sort of eagerness. I say that with a recognition for the historical pattern, and that's that's why it freaks me out. It's it's a very ominous path that we're heading down. Yeah, I mean, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's been shown throughout the sands of time. And I always try to encourage my viewers, we have to fight like hell to keep this country because, look, if we lose this experiment on self-governance in this republic, we ain't going to get it back. It might be a thousand years. It might be never until we see another United States of America. And we've seen all this tyranny that happened. You know, wars, countries that were going to have this Reich that would last a thousand years. All of these other things that we've seen, like in our lifetime and our grandparents' lifetime, America was always that country that would go in and save this country, save that country, tear it on the wall, fight off communism. If we can't save ourselves, do you think anyone's going to come and help us? Well, and that's what worries me, too, is um, is just the breakdown of the individual urge or responsibility even to defend himself. Talk about why we might not be willing to defend ourselves as a country. I mean, how many it's just it's I think it's just the decline and the death of of traditional masculinity, to be honest, of, of men willing and able to defend themselves and then by extension their country. But we have. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, this whole, the, the whole coronavirus episode of the last two years um, has been a very disappointing awakening to me about how easily people will surrender their rights when they feel like they're scared and how easily they will submit to someone who claims to have all the right answers just because they're, they're a supposed expert or they have, uh, you know, the, the right, um, the right educational qualification next, next to their name or anything. And I'm not even saying that to discredit specific people. I'm just saying when you surrender your rights to make decisions about your life for yourself, you have surrendered everything. You don't treat that decision lightly. If you, if you agree and want to follow the advice of people you think are, are smarter or more informed on an issue than you are, 
great. That's that's still you making your own decision. I don't have a problem with that. But but we have seen an eagerness to to allow uh, uh, an elite few to run our lives uncritically. And I, before all this, I just, I thought that I I thought Liberty or death meant something. I thought that people would hang on to those rights at all costs, even if it means they might make the right decision, they might die for making that right decision, but that, but that freedom and your rights to generally run your own life are not something that you sell for anything really. I know. And here's the thing. We were warned about this long ago. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. Stuff just keeps repeating itself. And some people are smart enough to learn from past mistakes. Other people just want to stick their head in the sand. And you had Ben Franklin. He put it pretty clearly. Those who would give up an essential liberty for a little bit of perceived security actually deserve neither liberty nor security and will ultimately wind up with neither. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to argue. I, I wish I could run a simulation where, um, where the whole coronavirus episode. And I know this isn't really a gun thing, so I'll be I'll be brief with this. But yeah. where let's say that that none of this was handled federally; it was all left to the states, and there was and the federal government just said meh. And you know, in defense of the prior administration, there was a there was a lot more of that, and. A lot of this has been handled by the states. I'm not saying it hasn't, but let's just say that you remove, I don't know, the Fauci's of the world and the federal government is more hands off than it was. And you just allow people's free decision making to govern what happened here. Would you would you have drastically different results in the uh, outcome of the virus? I'm, I'm not you might even have better results. You might be you might be over all of this by now if you hadn't had all the forced lockdowns and all the forced nonsense um and that that's that's what you're getting at there too which is about you get neither it's hard for me to if someone wants to say that the trade-offs for the for all the ways in which we violated people's rights and all the, the all the businesses we destroyed all the wealth that we destroyed that that was obviously worth it because of the lives that we saved I just need to see the information. I need to see that data. We have some of that kind of because states had different approaches and we can look at places like Florida that are somewhat comparable to places like New York. And there's really no difference in the outcomes um, of the virus in those two places. And it's like, well, well, what were we doing then? Why did we throw ourselves under the bus to get the exact same results in the end? And it's, that's the point that you're talking about with, with Ben Franklin. You sacrificed your freedom yeah. in the interest of security or safety, but you, you actually got neither out of that deal. You, you didn't get anything positive. Yeah, and here's something I'm going to assert, in my opinion, as a matter of fact. I know we lost liberty. I know we lost freedom in the last year and a half. But I would ask the question. I'm going to pose this as a question, Susan. We know where mental health is way down in this country, but are we physically any healthier now after we gave up all that liberty, right? Are we any healthier? I, I, don't, I don't think so, to be honest. Uh, and- no. <laughs> we, we stopped people from going to gyms and, you know, we, uh, we encouraged, uh, well, I'm sure there was a lot of takeout consumed over that time too. So there's probably um there's probably some data on that although in fairness i think the uh like the average bmi in our country is always increasing regardless so it'd be hard to say uh what is attributable to the lockdowns and um and what isn't but another thing that was interesting on on that front 
was that uh, you know, deaths in, in 2020 did increase. Uh, and, and part of that appears to have been because of the virus. But there are hundreds of thousands of deaths that are part of that increase as well that were unrelated to the virus. Things like heart disease, things like diabetes, things like Alzheimer's, things like all sorts of issues that were largely a product of people not visiting the doctors frequently or their healthcare facilities being shut down. And that isn't according to me. That's according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, who acknowledged as much. But it's just never really published broadly by the media. We we. We talk about the increase in deaths and it's like, yeah, I mean, but uh, across a lot of causes, it's not just that these people got Corona and died. It's that we weren't engaging in healthy habits and we weren't seeing the doctor as frequently. And that caused a lot of deaths, too. It did. And there's tons of negative stuff with this. I want to transition in the few minutes we have left here. Thanks for the super chats, guys. And I'm scanning the chat here. I don't know if you can see it on your end. Lots of people really appreciate you being on and are enjoying the conversation. I just wanted to let you know that. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody who came over to listen live. Yeah. So here's the thing. Look, there's so much doom and gloom going on, and we need to address the tough topics because we can't just put our head in the sand. We can't yeah. just keep pushing this down the road. But I think I have a little optimism, and I want you to weigh in on this. Hmm. 10 million new gun owners 2020. 5.3, I believe it is, million last year. People finally realizing I'm responsible for myself. I'm responsible for my own security. Basically, they're saying I want to be an actual American and stand yeah. up for my own values. Yeah. What do you think, man? Are we getting like a little bit of a surge in this culture war that we can kind of parlay on and, and kind of start winning again? Or? I'm sure there's some of that. And here's another piece of encouragement that there are a lot of states doing absolutely killer things right now, among them my state. Um, and it's it is easy to get very disillusioned by politics, especially when you're looking at D.C., because you can go and rage tweet at these people. You can call their office and yell at some intern for 10 minutes. But to actually talk to your senator or any senator, uh, good luck. It's probably not going to happen. But um, if you want to talk to your state rep, your state senator, they probably live like right down the street and you can go talk to them personally. And you might think like, yeah, you might think like, well, that's kind of a waste of my time. I, there's all sorts of awesome. Like in, in, in Montana, we got constitutional carry uh, this year. We're one of several states that did that. Um, there was, in my opinion, at least some productive work done on the abortion issue. There was productive work done on election security. There's um, all sorts of good things happening at the state level. And Montana, the state uh, politically is headed in the right direction. I know that that is true among dozens of states right now. Yeah. And that is because, you know, we elected good people to our, our state legislature. And I remember the, the woman who is now my state senator came to my door um, before the 2020 election. And she was just out campaigning and she's just a dentist lady in the area. And she was really cool. And, you know, we had a nice conversation for a little while and I can talk to her anytime I want. Yep. And, you, you'd be surprised how much influence and responsiveness you can have with your state rep, who, by the way, has a lot of influence over change that you'd like to see in your immediate area. Um, it, it's not actually that hard. Oh, and the other thing, too, um, it's not just your reps. Like, look what's happened in, in, in Virginia is a great example, too, with the school boards and the election of the new governor. You know, it's like none of us really... I don't look forward to going to a school board meeting and yelling at people or something like that, but it's also not that hard. It's not that hard to do. And it's made 
massive difference. So whether you care a lot about um, what your kids are being taught at, uh, in school or whether you care about any other issue or whether you care about your gun rights, you really do have a lot of uh, opportunity at the local level if you just make that little effort to get it done. And a lot of people are. That's also very encouraging. Yes. And as the founding father said, and I think it's the most beautiful thing that was ever written besides personally, you know, the Bible. But as far as the founding documents, the declaration, it, it says it all in there. And they say, it's your right. It's your duty to abolish this government. And that's what I think you're talking about, Matt. That is abolishing a tyrannical government, actually getting involved with your school board, with your delegates. Delegates are a big thing. State politics, people you can actually talk to getting the right people in there that will truly represent and fight like hell to stand up for your natural rights. Isn't that a form of abolishing this tyrannical government that we're supposed to? Well, that that's the ideal form. That's what we would all hope for. And I, it's very realistic uh, to do in your local and state context into the prior conversation. It's very hard to do in the federal context where they've seized so much control over your life. It's so far removed and the power interests are so, entrenched um doesn't mean you don't try but that in the federal context it's it's a prepare for the worst situation for me and um and, and again i don't say that with any sort of offensive intent i say that with a a fear that that one day any one of us could be targeted by these people who are largely unaccountable and live thousands of miles away because yeah. they decided they don't like um, what we say on the Internet or they decided that they don't like that particular gun that you have or they decided they just don't like your stupid face and they want to uh, shoot your dog. That well, yeah. those are realistic things that happen. And <laughs> that's uh, I, you know, it's hard. I guess it's hard for me to walk down to go have a to go talk to the ATF director if I want to. It's, it's very easy for me to talk to my dentist lady, the state senator. Yep. Very hard to talk to the ATF director, and that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. Like, look, guys, the former vice president, because he is the former vice president, we're not going to be able to talk to him. And even if you did, Truman and I'm going to ask the pressure. He, he doesn't <laughs> even know where he is. You know, literally. So, you nailed the pronunciation on that. I've never heard someone get it exactly right. That was pretty good. I do it a lot, but I'm going to show you guys this. I'm going to try to not dial him or dox him. That's my state rep, guys. He's in my hmm. cell phone right here. I text him and even call him when I see fit because he's a public servant, and that's quite frankly his job. So I think that's something we should be motivated for. And look, the Second Amendment, I always say this. They're all cherished. I love them all equally, almost. But here's why I have a particular liking to the Second. I think it was literally put there to protect our natural right to keep and bear arms for if, or rather when, they ignore all the rest. And that's one of the checks and balances of our government, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the order is, um, is, is intentional, and I think it's meaningful. And uh, I mean, specifically with the first and its protection of speech and the second as sort of a, uh, a last resort, if you will. Yes. Um, and th that's... That is the order of operations here as a matter of effectiveness and morality to me. Um, if, if there's if there's some problem, if there's some violation of my rights, even um, the, I, you, you don't go straight to the gun as your answer. And you shouldn't. You should address these things with words. You should make an argument. And if, if your goal is just persuading people too, you, there is there's probably. Well, how do I want to phrase this? Um 
words are probably the greatest power of all of them. Let's put it, let's put it this way. If I want to actually change, um, I don't know, change your mind, change your behavior, something like that. I have to convince you. I have to, I have to actually change your mindset and I could do that with a gun. I can point a gun at you and say, you will do this, but unless you've decided in your mind freely that this is what I want to do. And this is what I think. I mean, I haven't really done that. I'm just, uh, if I'm pointing a gun at you, I'm just kind of threatening you to get you to do what I to get you to do what I want. That's, yeah. that's why the, the first moral step is, is to convince people. Um, and, and the, the most effective step is to convince people because they, they'll be acting on their own behalf. There, it, yeah. When that fails, it becomes a, it becomes a defensive issue. And that, that's why the second is, is listed afterward yeah. um, because it's supposed to be an option that is, is secondary to the attempt to discuss, to persuade, to do all of those things that speech entails. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think it's a, this might be putting it lightly, but for lack of a better word, the Second Amendment and all of the arms that this country has, because we're the most well-armed country in the world, it's kind of a bargaining chip because it is a little bit of a circle. You know, they'll say, look, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I believe that, except for someone can come with a sword and take your pen from you. Yeah. And Chairman Mao, I'm going to bring Mao into this evil person, terrible person, but he was smart in one thing he said. He said all political power comes from the barrel of a gun. And I think hmm. that's why the Second Amendment was put there to protect our right to keep and bear arms. Because when we go to the government and we assert to them, this has to stop, you're done. We have that political power with us where we actually have a seat at the table where they should listen to us. Have you ever thought about it like that? I, I, I mean, I suppose... <laughs> there's a lot of power that can be achieved at the barrel of a gun. That's and true. And I don't mean by but us I, pointing it, just that we yeah. have them means we might be able to talk a little louder, if that makes sense. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, what I was thinking is that in the context of him, like political power and morality are certainly not the same thing. And that that's why yeah. the gun has to be wielded with proper moral principle. And I, you know, certainly he probably did not do that. It would be safe to say, um, oh. No. But I guess what you're saying is that you, that you're that the speech becomes stronger, I suppose. The speech yes. becomes amplified by the respect that has to be given to the gun in that context. Is that a fair way of? Yes. Yeah, so here's it? another analogy. Let's pretend we were in the same room right now and you started to tell me something I didn't agree with. And I just tried to backhand you across the mouth. Right. Oh, you might just knock my lights out. So I probably wouldn't do that. And I think that's kind of where the whole balance of power is. We can talk to the government and they can't just roll down the street. I mean, they have done this, actually. But generally, they don't just roll down the street with troops and tanks because they know there's a gun behind every blade of grass. And yeah. that actually gives us some power. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The degree to which they value your words or treat them seriously rests upon the degree to which they respect you. And I would like to believe that we all owe each other a certain level of respect as just a foundational moral principle. Yeah. But when you're that powerful, we know how corrupting that can be. And maybe you don't have that fundamental moral principle to give the people the proper respect they deserve. And so that is where um, the respect is restored. I think you're saying is, is when there yeah. is a consequence for disrespect. Yes, yes, exactly. Because I'll, I'll say this real briefly in a couple of minutes we have left. When they were writing the Federalist Papers, Madison, Hamilton, they co-wrote some of them. So either Madison or Hamilton said this. They talked about the concept of why do we need a government? 
And they said, if men were angels, we wouldn't need any government at all. Mm -hmm. But since men are not angels, we're going to need a government to protect the people's natural rights. And then they went on to say, if the government were angels, right, we wouldn't need any checks and balances. But since the government is certainly not angels, we need both internal and external checks. And the mm -hmm. internal checks are the documents and the external checks are we the people, you know? Well, yeah. And, and you think about it, the check that that represents is no different in the context of the government than it is with the mugger who approaches you on the streets. And one thing that really frustrates me is for some reason, it's like the, it's um, it's it's uh, like the poll that just came out about uh, what a lot of people want to do to the unvaccinated in terms of putting them in prisons or taking away their kids and all of these things. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of things that would be fundamentally immoral for us to do between each other. Um, but we, for some reason, we think that if the government does it, it's granted some sort of moral license as though the government exists on a moral plane uh, above the rest of us. Right. But it doesn't. And and if a mugger on the street can come and threaten you at knife point or gunpoint, and it would be justified to dis to defend yourself with a firearm against him, there is no moral difference than if the government exerts similar force against you in any sort of unjustified way. So yeah, I mean, it, it, the moral principles that apply apply to both. So the check that exists between you or me as just guys on the street interacting yeah. just as validly exists between all the bureaucrats in D.C. who similarly would want among us maybe just wearing a suit and tie uh, to look like moral professionals while doing it or something. Yes, and I believe that was the intent of the founding fathers. And I believe just by the plain language of the documents they wrote, that's how they formed this republic in this country, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, dude, this is crazy, man. It's like 9.58 here, and it felt like it was five minutes. So I had a really good time hanging out with you, dude. Yeah, I appreciate the discussion, and um, and thanks for having me on, and um, and thanks for popping into our chat, too. We appreciate it. Yeah, and I know you're like a way bigger YouTuber than me. Like, who cares? But you guys probably already know about him. But will you plug all your stuff real quick just for people who are just now, you know, yeah. meeting you? Uh, if you're interested in checking out my stuff, I'm, I'm doing, like you mentioned, uh, we do a long form stream on Sunday nights. That's the Matt and Blonde show twice weekly. I do shorter, um, a little more in-depth uh, breakdown, short videos of my own on political issues, sometimes gun issues, but, you know, just just political and news topics from sort of a, a pro-liberty, pro-constitution perspective. Yeah. And those are uh, twice weekly. But every all my stuff is found at, uh, at my, on my website, mattchristensenmedia.com. It's a long name, but it's Christian like the religion, S-E-N. MattChristensenMedia.com. You can find everything there. And by the way, um, don't sell yourself short either. Your channel has grown really nicely in, in the time you've been working on it. So I'm really glad to see that. That's well, a, particularly nice, impressive in the world of Susan Wiki Wiki and the world of guns on YouTube, which if you're talking any of the things that we talked about tonight, it's not easy to build an audience. So you're doing something right. right that's for sure. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you coming on tonight to encourage all these good people in the chat and just keep fighting the good fight, man. You put out great content and you're really helping a lot of people get through these times. I want to let you know that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and you as well. Thanks for having all right, me. Cool. Definitely check out his channel, guys. And I guess I'll be hanging out in your chat here this Sunday night. <laughs> all right. Anytime. Appreciate it. And I will be back here for my regular stream tomorrow night, guys, 930 p.m. Eastern time. All right, cool, guys. Thanks for watching, and have a good one.